Um, so I'm just blessed to kick off June with Jesus um, with all of you. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 11. We were asked to pick just one of our favorite scenes with Jesus in the Gospels as our texts during the month, which is really hard. That's like asking which one of your kids are your favorite. You know, just like, oh. Um, but over the last year, this particular chapter has been of huge importance to me and very practical. And so I, I want to read through this and just share with you from my heart. John chapter 11, we're going to read this entire section from verse 17 to 44. And then we'll pray together once more. John 11, beginning in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept, have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you offer everlasting comfort to men and women like us. 
And I pray today for those who are suffering that you would comfort them by your spirit. I pray for those of us who are not suffering that you, by your spirit, would make us good comforters, that we would comfort like Jesus people who are suffering and lost and confused and hurt in Santa Barbara and Carpinteria and Ventura and everywhere else you call us. I pray that you would teach us practical things, teach us profound things, and may they all transform us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think most of you know that uh, Pastor Britt is one of my nearest and dearest friends. It's been almost 10 years since we've been friends. And most of you also know that these last few years have been one of the most difficult seasons he's ever had in his life with little Daisy Love and her cancer. And last summer in particular was in many ways, as I know that he has mentioned more difficult than the previous when the tumor returned and they had to go through everything again. And I remember many phone calls and text messages and when Daisy was in the children's hospital in LA, it happened to be right up the street from my house and so in the middle of the night, we would actually connect while Kate was watching Daisy and sometimes we would just sit in my backyard like 2 a.m., Those were times of tears, conversations. And I remember on one particular night as I was sitting with him, I just was asking the Lord, like, Lord, just how can I just be a good friend? What does it mean for me to just be a good friend? And it was during a season uh, that I was dealing with a lot of other things in our church. Uh, A young girl in our church had gotten murdered. Her wedding was two months away, tragically murdered, so I was with the family, and I did the funeral. Another guy overdosed. It was just one of those seasons where it just seemed like everything was happening. And it, it, was, it was that night as I was sitting with Britt that the Lord just reminded me of John chapter 11 and how he comforted people in their time of grieving. And it's, in many ways, just very simple and practical, but it's very profound for me, and I just want to share this with you from my heart. How can we comfort like Jesus? Because there are people suffering all around us right now. What, what do we do? What do we say? What do we not do? What do we not say? How can we comfort like Jesus? Some people, they disregard suffering altogether. They just don't want to deal with it. When a friend or family member comes to them with their suffering, they just kind of want to avoid it like the plague. Other people divert the attention of those suffering They don't know what to say, so they just want to draw attention to something else, but that's temporary at best. What we need to do is digest suffering. That's the healthy way. But a lot of people avoid it because it's oftentimes just too much. But Jesus claims that we can not only have peace and joy through trials, but we can share this peace and joy with others who are going through their trials. This is both profound and practical. Now, let me explain briefly what I mean by comfort. Most of the times we hear that word, we think of luxury or ease. But in the Bible, comfort is used in the context of one who comes alongside another and helps. 
Someone who comes alongside another who has a great burden and then helps that person carry that burden. And so the burden is lightened because it's now being borne up by two. One of the reasons we know, according to 2 Corinthians, that we're allowed to go through suffering is so that we can comfort other people with the comfort that we've received during our time of suffering. In John chapter 11, we see Mary and Martha grieving. Lazarus has died, their brother, and Jesus had loved them. They knew that he loved them, and so they're grieving, and they've called for Jesus to come, and they're not even necessarily sure what they're asking him for. They, they just sent for the teacher. They sent for Jesus, and what does he do? How does he comfort? The first thing I notice here, and the thing that I've been reminded over the last year or so, is that Jesus comforted with presence. Beginning in verse 17, we're told that Jesus went to the graveside. He went to the place that these women and others were mourning. I think we can all agree that trials and hardships are never convenient. You can't plan for them. And when other people are suffering, it's not convenient for you to go and help them. It's never going to be convenient. It's never going to be easy. It's something that you cannot plan for, and yet we should be prepared to deal with. If we're going to be good comforters, we need to be willing to go where the people are suffering. And we need to be able to go there for a long time. As much as opportunities are presented to us, we need to be willing to go to the extra mile. You have to travel there, to go there, to take time out of your schedule and go to those people in those moments of need. And if you have the opportunity, stay for a long time. Because there's something about the presence of another person that is of profound importance to the one suffering. And if you've suffered, you know what I'm talking about. There's something about someone just being there even if they're not saying anything or, or doing anything, that there's something about someone just being there. I mean, how many times have I you know, gone to a hospital room or a funeral or a counseling session and later on the people say to me, it was so powerful what you did and I think to myself, I didn't do anything. But they said, just you being there meant so much. Just you being there meant so much. Oftentimes, friends, family members will come to the aid of those who are suffering or those who are grieving during the most severe part of the trial, but then they de depart quickly. I remember with my, my mother when my father died about eight years ago, you know, all the people call and they send the cards after there's a death in the family. But two weeks later, the phone call stopped coming. Three weeks later, the cards stopped coming. And it's in those times that people who are suffering and grieving feel most alone. We need to be those men and women who, if we have the opportunity, that we stay long term. 
You know, you send the text message, you, you, you pray for them often, you, you check up, you, you, you go there to just be with them. If we're going to be men and women who comfort well, we're going to need to be aware of the long-term needs. And sometimes it's as simple as just going there, going the extra mile, traveling, being there with those people. But Jesus, as he traveled and came with his presence, we also noticed that he listened. He went there, first of all, and he listened. He listened to Martha. He listened to Mary. He even listened to the dumb religious leaders who were like, if this guy healed the blind man, couldn't heal him? I mean, if you're Jesus, you're so irritated at that point. You're just like, look, shut up. And the commentators tell us that Jesus wept not only because he was grieving, but also because he was frustrated and angry with these idiots who just didn't even know what they were talking about. But the first thing he did was listen. Listening is hard. Listening to someone grieving is hard. Listening to someone suffering greatly is hard. And there is a period of time, I'm not going to try and put time limits on it, but there's a period of time where you just need to listen. And it may not yet be the time for you to speak, especially about your own sufferings. I see all too often in the church that people will show up and do a moment of grieving and they just, they just immediately start speaking about their own sufferings. But I'm sure you've been in that situation and you've heard someone else doing that and you're just like, please stop. I mean, I've heard people in hospital rooms say, oh yeah, I'm sure it's hard. You know, I got in a car accident the other week and yeah, I just got to deal with the insurance and I just look over and I'm like, are you for real? <laughs> like sometimes it just makes matters worse. Speaking too quickly may indicate a lack of concern. If you just show up and blow up, just like, hey, I'm here, I'm comforting you. Psalm 23 says, all right, you good? I've seen it. You've seen it. I've actually done it. <laughs> but I'm not going to share with you those experiences. <laughs> you know what? If anything, your own experience of suffering should keep you there longer. It should keep you there longer. And you need to hear those people express themselves as they grieve. And it's hard because sometimes some of the things that are said can be very disturbing. Why did you do that, God? What is going on? You don't love me. I mean, guys, have you just sat there and listened to, to people say those things? It's hard. I've said them, and you need to let other people say them. Because in that moment of listening, you are communicating something that is so important that it's safe for you to pour out your heart here. Because God listens to our prayers. Yes, sometimes you need to intervene. If someone's going to make a hasty decision as they're venting themselves, yes, you need to intervene. But more often than not, we need to just let them express themselves and to, to just grieve openly and know that that's a safe place to do it because we're representing so, so, something so wonderful about God that it is a safe place to pour out your heart with God. They may say things that shock you, turn your stomach 
but we need to listen. I remember reading um, C.S. Lewis. I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. I remember uh, reading C.S. Lewis's little book called A Grief Observed. And it's about after his wife died. And in there, he says things that are like disturbing. Like I remember reading it when I was a young Christian, like Mr. Lewis, you know, you can't say things like that. (laughs) And of course he would resolve and come around, you know, but say things like, I feel like the way God has treated me, like he put me in a house, shut the door and all I can hear is the sound of the lock. That's how he felt. But we need to listen well, because if you've listened well, then you'll learn to speak well. Not only do you earn the right, but you'll know how to speak. And lastly, with our presence, and when Jesus showed up and was just there, he did not only listen, but he also wept. Verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. There is a time to just weep. There is a time to just sit there and cry with someone else. There is nothing wrong with weeping. It's why you're weeping that matters. And according to the Bible, suffering, especially great suffering, calls for weeping. To tell someone not to cry is not only just bad advice, it's bad theology. Because suffering, especially great suffering, calls for weeping. In fact, if you read through Scripture, especially the Old Testament, you'll find that a lot of time was set apart for people to mourn. And I actually think in our culture, we take two days off and we go right back to it because we're so just, that's the way our culture functions. But I don't think people really process things rightly. But we need to just go and weep with other people. Jesus saw the women weeping and the other person weeping, even the, the idiots that were saying wrong things. He, 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 they were weeping and he, he wept with them. Christians are not above weeping. It is a natural and right expression of grief. And I know that for a lot of people, tears, for some of you, you kind of have more of a stoic nature and you got to have that stiff upper lip. And you're in the hospital room and you're just kind of, you know, there and I got to hold it all together. You know what? Just sometimes you just got to let it go. I understand there's times where you got to, you know, other people are losing it. You got to hold them up. I remember when my dad was passing away, my brother and my mom were a wreck and I just kind of went into like, got to help them mode. But my time for weeping came later. Tears are not a sign of weakness. They're a sign of compassion. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 when he said, rejoice with those who rejoice and what? Weep with those who weep. Weep with those who weep. In my opinion, the best thing that Job's friends ever did was shut up and cry. (laughs) And you know what I'm talking about if you've read the book of Job because when they opened their mouth, it all just went downhill after that. But one of the best things they did is they just showed up and they heard Job suffering and they just wept with him for a long time. Because in that moment, you're, you're, you're helping them digest it. And that's what tears are the result of, that you're digesting it, that you're going there. And when we weep with others, we're telling them we're going there with you. You know, when Brits call me on the phone or sending me a text message in my backyard, I'm just... 
I need, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me, just said, you need to go there. Just go there with him. Grieving is not a time for heroics. And I think some of us just kind of want to be the hero. We want to be great. We want to do great things. And I want to affirm that it is a good thing to want to do great things if biblically defined, but sometimes the greatest thing you can do is just weep with someone. Because in that moment, you are participating in something that is so powerful. You're sharing in their sorrow. That's what a comforter does. You're saying, I'm not here to help you get over it. I'm here to help you get through it. Because trials are not something you get over. Trials are something you get through. And in that moment, you can represent Jesus, who is not only listening, but who is the one that has shared our burden. Arthur Pink, great commentator and theologian, once said that Jesus shared our burden before he removed our burden. He felt the pain. He went through life. He knew what it was like to be poor and to suffer so that he can identify with us. But then he moved on and he did comfort with perspective. He comforted with presence. He was there. He went to the grave. But then he comforted with perspective. And we see this in verses 17 through 27 where Jesus responds to to the cries of these women. A situation of trial and suffering needs to be interpreted. I think what made Job's friends bad comforters is that they did not rightly interpret the situation. And so the advice and their words were just wrong. And oftentimes you and I, just as men and women in the church, we can just offer bad advice because we don't have the right perspective. Or we're so used to pat answers or little catchy phrases that we've heard used in our culture when oftentimes they, not only do they just not make that much sense, but they certainly don't even line up biblically. How's this one? Time heals all wounds. Okay, that is crap. (laughs) That is wrong on so many levels. And yet I've said it before. I'm sure some of you have said it before. We know that that's just not true. In fact, for many people, time makes things worse. It's what happens in time that makes the difference. That could be good. That could be bad. I've seen people who have parents who have been robbed of their loved ones. They were taken unjustly, murdered. And for them, in many cases, time has not been good. They've grown more bitter and fallen into more despair than they ever were years prior. It's what happens during time that matters. We need perspective. How do we think rightly about this? And that's what's going to determine what we speak and what we say. How do we process what, what we're going through? How do we process what someone else is going through? And this is where what you believe about the world, what you believe about God, this is where the rubber meets the road. It's during times of trials and suffering. And I, I've done quite a few funerals over the years, and I've heard... Many things said at funerals. Some things wonderful, 
some things that will absolutely just turn your stomach. I remember on one occasion watching um, the, I'm sure you guys remember it, watching the Michael Jackson uh, funeral or memorial. And I remember this one woman came up and, and she shared, I cannot remember for the life of me who she was, but she came up and she said, Michael Jackson is now a star in the sky. So as you look up and you see him, remember that he's always there. And it seemed for some strange reason like people were comforted by that. And I remember watching the, the screen thinking I was both, I was sad and I was angry at the same time. I was sad because, first of all, did she actually believe that? If so, that's not only just weird, but that is not comforting to me. Or did she not really believe it, but she was saying that anyway? In that case, she's lying. And funerals are not a time to lie. I mean, even with my kids, you know, I, I remember watching a Disney movie with my daughter, and there was in one of the stories, the character dies and like becomes a star. And I was like, wait, and I hit pause. I'm like, wait a minute. I was like, honey, does that happen? She's like, no, daddy, like the resurrection and Jesus. Is like, thank you. <laughs> Play. <laughs> You need to do film and theology with your kids, by the way. <laughs> but see, there is such a need for perspective. Like, how do you interpret this situation? What, what do you believe about God? That's why so many people opt for the diversion method, because they just don't want to deal with it. What does Jesus do? He gives them eternal perspective by directing attention to himself. Now, if we direct attention to ourselves, it's a diversion. If Jesus directs attention to himself, it's called the answer. Because <laughs> he's Jesus and we're not. He was the lens for Mary and Martha to interpret the situation of death. Because he himself was the help they needed in the situation. He directed attention to himself so that they could deal with the grief with an eternal perspective. And friends, that is the greatest thing that we can do is point people to Jesus. The whole reason that Jesus came into our world was to deal with the fundamental problem in our world, which is sin. Its greatest effect is death. That's why he came. If you've not received the comfort that is found in the gospel message, then the comfort that you give other people will at worst be superficial and at best temporary. But if you have the comfort of the gospel, if you have the word of God, then you have the divine lens through which you can understand pain, sorrow, suffering, and death. There is a time to speak. There is a time to say something. What will you say? Some of you are facing a situation right now. What will you say? When I think to myself of those times when I go to the parents of murdered people, children and I go, I, it's in those times that I just rest back upon the promises of the word of God. 
That is the greatest thing that I have to offer people. There is a time to speak. When it comes, what will you say? Some of you, your tendency might be to never say anything. But then it may communicate that you don't care. And I don't think you want to communicate that. But others of you say too much. You try to explain all the details of the situation when you may not know. After all, you're not God. I I don't know every single detail. You're there to get their heart through the trial. So you can share what you know to be true of God for them. You can be there to share his promises because God does not always give us the details of our suffering, but he always helps our hearts through suffering. But we don't always know the details. And this is hard for those of us, if you're like me, you're a fixer, not a comforter. If somebody comes to you in a great time of need, they've lost all of their money and it's brought great pain to them. If you're a fixer, your first response is going to be, well, you should have invested here and here's a way that you can do it. And here's how I think that you can map out the rest of your financial. And the person's just weeping in front of you, okay? That, that's, you're in fixing mode, okay? Sometimes I'm like that to my wife. You know, she's just like grieving. Like, I'm just like, well, here's what you need to do. Number one, And she's like, I just don't fix my problem. Just comfort me. And in times of suffering and grieving, we can't just be fixers. We need to be comforters. Because if if we're just fixers, then too often we focus on the problem and not the person. So in that moment, let's say someone has come to you. They've lost everything. You don't just look at the problem. Look at the person. What are they experiencing right now? Fear. The Bible says a lot about fear, doesn't it? So now when I was looking at the situation, I, I, was, I was just grasping for the wind because I, didn't, I don't know anything about finances. I don't have a good plan for them. But, but if I look at their heart and I see that they're wrestling with fear, I know the Bible. And the Bible says a lot to say about fear. Having interpreted the situation through scripture, it becomes more clear what the need is. And so we apply the remedy of God's promise to that present experience. So now we, you and I, people that are called to comfort, we can give a true perspective through the promises of God. So as you listen and as you're grieving, you're sensitively thinking of ways to gently remind them of who God is. In what way does God meet that person's need? In what way does God comfort that person in times of grieving or suffering? That's why God refers to himself in many ways to show how he meets our need in that way. If you're lost and you don't know the way, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. If you're in the dark and you don't know which way to go, he says, I'm the light of the world. If you say, I'm spiritually starving, he says, I'm the bread of life. You say, I'm grieving. All I see is suffering and death. He says, I am the resurrection. In what way can we apply the promise of God to that suffering person, to that grieving person, or even our own hearts when we're going through trials? 
And church, this is where you can share your personal experience. This is where your experience can help. And maybe not so much that you even share it or tell them about it, though at times that may be good, but you can share the promises of God that you experienced in your time of suffering. The time when you spent, the time you spent reading the Bible through your tears. Have you ever done that? The scriptures that you read through your tears, I guarantee you, are the ones that you're going to hold most dearly. And you, a, a man or woman that has experienced the comfort of God through his promises in that moment, you are going to share with those people in the power of the Holy Spirit the wonderful truths and promises that have meant so much to you with those people who are grieving. Psalm 22. He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard him when he cried to him. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 55, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Isaiah 49, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These words are more than I could ever offer to any human being for they are true. You can comfort other people in the valley of the shadow of death because you know that there wouldn't be a shadow if there wasn't a light behind the mountain if there wasn't a victory beyond death. For we know that even according to the beginning of John chapter 11, Jesus told the people that sent to him about Lazarus, he said, this sickness does not lead to death. You might say, well, he died. But what Jesus is saying is that it will not ultimately lead to death. Rather, it will lead through death only to come out to life on the other side. Do you believe that? If you believe that, you can share by the power of the Holy Spirit with those who suffer and those who grieve. I've never believed more in the resurrection than when I've actually gone through those times of trials, when I buried my father, when I go to funerals, I say, that's the only hope I got is the resurrection. Otherwise, this is the end. 
Without it, there is no hope. But with it, it's the greatest hope that the universe could ever know. That's the perspective we need. But Jesus went farther and he prayed. He showed up, he wept, he listened, he gave perspective, and then he prayed. In verses 41 and 42, he comforted them by praying to the Father for the situation. There's something fascinating about these two verses that I'm still just kind of mulling over in my own mind. Notice that according to verse 1, or verse 41, excuse me, that the way in which Jesus prays to the Father indicates to us that he was already praying. He says, Father, I thank you that you heard me. He was already praying. We need, as good comforters, we need to be in an attitude of prayer a constant attitude of prayer before we even have the opportunity to pray out loud with and for other people that we would be men and women who are just in prayer, just crying out to the Father for the situation. So we notice that, first of all, it was a private prayer. He was already praying because some things need to be prayed privately. There are times when I'm with people and they're saying things or doing things where... I don't know if they would rightly interpret my prayer if I prayed it out loud. Because in that moment, I'm just like, Jesus, help them. Jesus, correct their understanding of this. But when I pray publicly, which is what Jesus does here, it's going to be, as Jesus said, for the benefit of those who hear. I'm going to take the promises of God I know, and I'm going to pray in such a way that they know why I'm praying and what I'm praying for so that they would be able to understand what I understand about God. God, you are the good shepherd. You are one who gives comfort to those who need comfort. And I invite them to hear that prayer so that they would know where the true source of comfort lies. It's in the Father. Jesus says, I prayed these things on account that they may believe that you sent me, he says. He prayed privately and he prayed publicly. Prayer is what accesses the power of God. Prayer is our lifeline. And sometimes I just wonder, how desperate are we? Do we think we've got it all figured out? Do we think we really know what that person needs? Do we really think that we know what's going on in their heart? Do we really know all of the things that they've endured through the past? Do we really know? Do we, in our own strength, truly have what is needed to truly comfort them? As I say those words, I just, I look in my own heart and I just say, I thank God for Jesus Christ. Lastly, because of that prayer, Jesus comforted with power. Jesus comforted with power. As he said in verse 43, with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And he raised the dead. To be an encourager, to be a comforter, means that you're putting your strength into another person. It's that picture of you coming alongside to someone who could barely walk and you just take their arm and you put it around their shoulder and you just pick them up and you just say, I'm going I'm to walk with you through this. But it implies that you have power and strength to give. 
And Jesus says, I do have power and strength to give, and it is power great enough to conquer the grave. Martha, Mary, the thing that you're, you fear most, the thing that is causing you to grieve, I have power over that. I can deal with that, for Jesus said that he is the resurrection. Jesus being God is the power of the resurrection. Without him, there is none. But it's usually at that, that place of suffering and tragedy and even death that, that philosophies break down. And I even read one essay written by someone with a PhD to say that at this point when things get so great, literally, quote, it's best to divert people's attention to something else. But that's only as far as they could go. Because church philosophies don't raise people from the dead. Jesus raises people from the dead. I love philosophy. Doesn't raise people from the grave. I'm not trusting on philosophy for my resurrection. I'm trusting in Jesus for my resurrection. For he said that though we die, here he performed a miracle. God's not always going to do miracles in the case of physical death. That's why it's called a miracle. <laughs> not Sunday. <laughs> But we have hope beyond the grave that we will, in a resurrection like his, be raised again. But let's not forget that the reason that Jesus could comfort Mary and Martha with these words, the reason that he could comfort them with the promise of ultimate victory is because Jesus traveled into this world on his way to another grave. He traveled to his own death where he would bear up our sin upon himself. And he wouldn't just lighten the load. He would take the whole thing and suffer the penalty that you and I deserve on the cross and yet rise again to give hope for sinners like us. When he wept, he wept alone. No one was there to rescue. So that when you and I weep, we would not weep alone. We would weep with the one who comforts us. Jesus did not disregard the grief of sin that we experience in this world. The pain, the suffering, and the death. Nor did Jesus divert our attention from the grief and pain and suffering of sin. Jesus digested it. 1 Corinthians 15 says, death is swallowed up in victory. So the worst thing you fear, I take care of that. I'm the one you come to. His promise of power through trials and over death is available for anyone who believes. And he comforts us now by giving us the Holy Spirit who comes in us and comforts us with his presence. When we believe, we're told the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home in us. He comforts us with presence. And the Holy Spirit guides our minds and hearts into the truth. He comforts with perspective. And when we don't know how to pray, we're told in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit prays for us. He comforts with prayer. 
And when we don't have strength, the Holy Spirit gives us power that we don't have in our own ability. The only way you can be a good comforter is if you yourself have been comforted by God. That's the only thing that I have to offer a close friend who's grieving or parents who are mourning. That's all I have. And I hope to God that ultimately in the end, that's all you have. Because all that we have just happens to be the greatest thing in the universe that everyone needs. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would come right now and draw us closer to you, that you would show us how great your comfort is. I pray for those who are grieving and suffering and mourning right now here in this campus and in the Ventura campus. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just show up and just comfort them in a way that no other family member or friend could. And I pray that they would truly receive the comfort that you give. And Father, I pray that your spirit would empower this church to consist of men and women who comfort like Jesus. So Father, we come to you now and we just need power. We need strength. We need wisdom. And so during this time in which we respond to you, would you minister to us? Lord, we are but empty vessels and we just need to be filled. So fill us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.